And in this series, we're going to be hearing a lot about God's power and the great things that he's done, amazing things, miraculous things that he does through his people, through his church, thousands of people coming to the church, thousands of people being saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, miracles happening, people being healed, um, disciples being used to, to do and see great things and to speak the word of God in amazing situations. This is really a great series that we're going to be going through. And I want to encourage all of us, you know, let's make a point of reading the book of Acts when we can. Let's make some time in our weekly schedule to read these scriptures while we're going through this series. We're going to be going through this for quite a while. There's a number of chapters and be a number of weekends we're going to be doing this. So I really want to encourage all of us, let's be reading the scriptures together in our life groups. Let's discuss them. Let's uh, set aside, maybe read a chapter a week or a chapter a day or a few chapters in one week, whatever we can do, because the more that we have that sitting in our hearts and our minds, the more that God can work as we're listening to it and reading it and being reminded of, of the great things he can do. So I think he's really going to challenge us and grow us in this, um, in this series. So I encourage you to do that. So with that, let's pray, and then we're going to get into the message. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we can gather in your name. And we pray, Jesus, that you would use the scriptures today that we hear for your glory, that we would grow in understanding, that we would become stronger followers of you, God, that you would transform us and change us, and we would recognize, God, that your power is not limited by anything, even the things that we know here on earth. But rather, God, you can work with anybody, with anything, in any situation in order for your name to be known. So we ask, Jesus, that you would be here with us and give us your Holy Spirit to help us understand your word more and more. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be together, like I said, and we're going to be jumping into back into Acts chapter 1. Last week, Pastor Gary kind of began with chapter 1, and he talked to us about how Jesus told the disciples that they need to be ready and to wait in Jerusalem because they're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let me read the scripture. It says, And while staying with them, meaning the disciples, he, meaning Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And that's Acts 1, 4 through 5. So in that, we heard about the promise, the promise that Jesus gave and that God had made to give the disciples a helper. And there was more to that, so that's where we're going to be joining today. As we get into the scripture today, I, want to, I kind of want to prep it by saying, this, that just happened, and then now what's happening is there's going to be a, a kind of a meeting, a gathering that Jesus is going to have with, with his disciples. They're all going to get together, and you can sense that something's going to happen. The disciples must have sensed that something is going on because they ask a question, and then Jesus kind of redirects them to not focus on what they're asking about, but says to them, this is what I want you to focus on. So as we're reading this, watch for that, and let's see what happens. This is Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 11. Then they, the disciples and Jesus, gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, 
It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So they're all gathered together. They're having this kind of meeting. And they ask a question. And Jesus says, no, no, no. This is what I want you to be focused on. And then, just like it says, Acts 1.9, taken up before their very eyes. He was taken up before their very eyes. And that's exactly what it, it means, what it says. He started rising off the ground. So, of course, the disciples are probably thinking, what's, happened? This is, this is, what's going on? This is pretty wild to consider. Somebody's just floating up into the sky, into the air, you know? And so, of course, they're going to be looking into the sky, wondering, what's going on here? Is he coming back? What, what exactly is happening here? And so they're looking at the sky so much that they have to kind of be awakened out of their stare by two angels. This moment, Jesus did talk about this moment with the disciples. They didn't really understand what he meant when he would talk about it before it happened, but certainly they probably figured it out at this point. This is called the ascension, and it basically means when Jesus ascended into the sky. And here's when he talked about it in John chapter 7 and John chapter 13. He said, Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I am going to the one who sent me, and he means his father. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. In John 13, he says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. I will tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. So Jesus knew this was going to happen. He told them about it. They didn't understand it. At this moment, they probably thought, okay, now we understand what, what he meant. They get kind of shaken out of their stare and then by the angels. And this was, so this was part of the plan. But with his exit, this is really important for us to understand. With his exit, it kind of signals two things. Two things. Number one, it signals that Jesus' earthly ministry is now over. Okay, he came to do his work. His work was to teach the disciples. His work was to tell the, uh, spread the gospel, tell people about the gospel, the good news. His work was to talk about repentance and the kingdom of God. And then he was to die on the cross, rise from the dead, and then go to be with his father. So with that, he's done. His earthly work is done. Second thing is that now the disciples' work, who are now being called the apostles, their work is beginning. Everything that they had learned, everything that they had seen Jesus do, every question that they asked him and they heard an answer back, everything that they had witnessed was for this moment. This was what they were training for. This is what it was all about. This was their time. Jesus had done his work and now he was giving a charge to the disciples or the apostles to go out and do, continue the work. Continue what he started. 
This is a big moment, a big moment for them. And so those are the two things that we see as he exits. And this is what, remember, this is what he told them in Acts 1.8. He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. That was going to be their work. That's what he wanted them to do. You will be my witnesses. So he tells them, you'll be witnesses to, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. So growing area, further and further, growing, growing influence. So they're going to be witnesses. The word witness or witnesses comes from the Greek word martus, martus. And it means something very simple. Someone who saw something. <laughs> That's it. It's very simple. Someone who witnessed something. That's all it is. Now put into action, it means to bear witness or to speak faithfully of what one knows or what they saw or heard or know to be true. So that is their task. Now it seems like it's probably a pretty simple thing to do, right? I saw this, I say what happened. But we've got to consider some, some things that are going on here. It's not just like they're supposed to go back home and then tell a few neighbors about what they saw. What it actually means is that they need to go and tell the truth about Jesus. Remember he said, you'll be my witnesses. And they're not necessarily going to find it easy to do. You have to remember, see, at this point, when Jesus left the earth, it was about a month, maybe a month and a half, that he had, from when he had been killed, when he was put on the cross and died. And those same people who were around, who hated Jesus, despised him, were jealous of him, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the religious um, leaders of those days, those same people were still around. They were still around. They wanted to make sure that people did not follow or believe in Jesus Christ. And they wanted to make sure that people did not believe that he rose from the dead. So that's the first thing. The disciples are thinking, they've got to be thinking, okay, well, we're going to go and do this and there's going to be opposition. But the other thing that's interesting too is these guys weren't necessarily world travelers. They weren't like accomplished people necessarily. They had simple jobs and they were pretty much ordinary, simple guys. They had jobs like fishermen and field workers and one of them was a tax collector. But they weren't necessarily people that had gone around the world at that point. They weren't you know, highly educated. They, weren't, um, of great, they didn't have great knowledge and understanding. They weren't religious leaders from what we can see in scripture. They were just ordinary people. So to them, they knew Judea and Samaria. Remember, the angels called them men of Galilee when they appeared. Well, that's because they knew the region. They knew that area. But ends of the earth, that doesn't, that, we're not sure that they actually knew exactly what they meant. They probably heard of places, but maybe, you know, they thought, well, maybe we'll go a little bit past where we know. And remember, for us, ends of the earth is much different what we imagine than what they could see. They could understand or imagine, right? So there's going to be opposition. They don't know everything. And it kind of raises the question, why did Jesus pick these guys? Why did he pick them? They're ordinary people. I mean, let's consider this for a minute. When we read the Gospels of Jesus Christ... 
when we read that, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's, it's pretty apparent and, and obvious that Jesus has access to pretty much anybody from any kind of uh, socioeconomic status, from any kind of influence. I mean, he, he spoke with poor people. He spoke, spoke with rich people. He spoke with people who were hungry. He spoke with people who had plenty to eat. He spoke with people who were not smart. He spoke with people who were highly intelligent. He spoke with people who were demon-possessed. And he spoke with people who were religiously very knowledgeable. So he had access to anybody, and he could have asked any person. But he asked these guys. It's kind of interesting when you think about it, because this is a big job to do. And they don't seem like they really are that prepared. So that's one of the things that we're going to notice is as we go through this, we're going to see that Jesus does a great work through them and in them. The other thing is that Jesus made sure to tell them ahead of time. He, he knew what they were going to face. Jesus says in John 15, 18, he said, If the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. So it's going to happen. So take, kind of take that into, into mind as we, we get into this scripture and continue into the book of Acts. How would you like to get that as kind of your, uh, you know, your beginning into your new job? Like, hey, when you start this new job, you're going to do great. I'll be with you and I'm going to give you power and you're going to be fine. But you know, just know that when you go out there and do your task, people are not going to want you around. They might even want to, they're probably going to want to kill you. <laughs> okay, so this is, this is a lot to take in. But God definitely did choose these guys. In John 15, 16, he says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. The book of Acts is going to show us the power of God to transform ordinary lives and work beyond earthly limitations. We're going to see that more and more and more as we read it. And that's why I encourage you, read it as much as you can. Jesus clearly saw something in these men that he could work with. And so that's why he picked them. There was a purpose. There was a point behind it. That's why it says the word in John 15, 16, it says, I chose you, I appointed you. I appointed you. There was a purpose for this. He knew what was going on. And so that leads us to our first point as we get into, as we continue on. God's work is not bound by human limitations. God's work is not bound. We're going to see this over and over again. It's not bound by human limitations. You know, this idea of, um, many of us might, might like stories. Stories are a real powerful way for us to kind of understand a lesson or to learn a point, right? And so we have stories all over us. We have books, we have the internet, we have movies. Movies are a great communicator of stories, right? And there are kind of, when you look into the idea of story, the concept of story, there are basically about four to seven different types of common storylines or plots, okay? One of them is called overcoming the warrior, or some of us know it as the underdog story, the underdog story, where you have a concept where you, there's a story where there's someone who seems like they really cannot get it together, they don't have the strength or the ability, they have a lot of heart and a lot of passion, maybe, to overcome their enemy 
or whatever's in front of them, but then you have another character who has it all together, has all the strength, has all the knowledge, all the experience, and just doesn't look like they'll ever be defeated. You know, so we see these kinds of, this kind of idea like in movies like Rudy, the football movie, or maybe Rocky, you know, that whole series, or maybe The Hunger Games, where you have one person trying to overcome an entire establishment. You know, all of these different um, movies have that in common, where you have someone who doesn't seem like they'll ever overcome or defeat the enemy, but eventually they do. You kind of get that sense here a little bit in this moment, because Jesus is giving these guys this opportunity, or this opportunity, well, something he's asked them to do, and he's telling them, hey, you're going to go out and do this, but they don't seem all that prepared. But God's work is not bound by human limitations. And this idea of the underdog or someone who is weaker overcoming the greater is very common in Scripture. It happens all over the Bible. As we read through it, you'll see it all over the place. Some of us have, some of us have heard of Moses. Moses was a great leader who took the Israelites out of slavery from the nation of Egypt. But we, we may not know this, that Moses was actually a very reluctant leader. He did not want to do the job. When God asked him to, or told him this is what he was going to do, I want you to go do this, and I'll be with you. He made all these promises to him, but Moses was like, I really don't want to do this. Can you pick somebody because I'm not really a good speaker? <laughs> Can you imagine saying that to God? I, I just don't think, I, maybe I would do that. I don't know. I, I probably would. But, but, you know, that's kind of what happened. Moses didn't want to do the job. He was afraid. And then there's King David, who is still highly regarded as one of the greatest leaders in the history of the nation of Israel. He had several brothers that were older than him who were experienced warriors. They knew how to battle. But when it came time to pick a king, God chose David. And he was the youngest and the weakest and the least experienced. And then we have that story, David and Goliath, right? If you don't know that story, look it up in Scripture and read it. And then there's Gideon. This is one of my favorites. I do not understand why God chose Gideon. In Judges chapter 6, I encourage you to go read the story. It's fascinating. Gideon is a weak guy who hides when he's working. That's how he's found. That's how he's, when we read the scripture, that's how it starts. He's hiding, doing some work. And God says to him, you're a warrior. And he's like, what? I'm the least. I can't fight. And he is such a scared guy that when he does his first act of leadership, he does it at night so that nobody will see him doing it and nobody will know he did it. It's the strangest thing. But this is, it's, this is what happens in Scripture. It's extremely common to see this. God will work with people who are not necessarily the greatest. And you see his power work through it. And we read about this idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is what it says. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. 
God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. There it is. He he works that way. And in the kingdom of God, in God's eyes, this is actually an asset. This is actually a good thing. It's a valuable thing to actually not have it all together, but be willing to serve God. It's a good thing. And consider it for a minute. I mean, that, it says it in the end of that, that scripture, so that no one may boast before him. That's the point. God doesn't want people thinking, us or anybody, to be thinking that his work, the gospel is being spread because of our efforts or of our work. That wouldn't make sense, right? It wouldn't make sense. If we could do it on our own, then why would we have to listen to God? Why would we need him? We wouldn't need him. We would just figure out, okay, we got to get the best people, the right social media strategy, and we got to make sure that we get really nice videos on YouTube, and then we're going to make sure that we tell everybody around us and hand out flyers, and, and then eventually we'll just spread and figure it out. We'll buy a bunch of cars, we'll drive further and spread it out, so on and so forth. But you know what? That's not how it needs to be. How it needs to be is God needs to get the glory. That's what God wants. So that so that people will know his name. That's the reason. So he'll get the glory so that people will hear about him and want to follow him. Because there is a changing, a powerful change that God does in our lives and he saves us from sin, the whole gospel message. That's what he wants people to hear and to know. So if we could do it on our own, we wouldn't need God. But that's not how it works. As a matter of fact, like I said, weakness is actually a good thing in the kingdom of God. This 2 Corinthians talks about this. I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And it means When I cannot do it, when I am weak, God's strength has the opportunity to go and shine through and work in my life. That's what we need, right? Awesome. Praise God. That's what we need. That's just exciting. That's such great news because God is not limited by humans and our, our abilities. And that leads us to our next thing. In the book of Acts, we're going to see that God's work is not dependent on human strength or effort. It's not, based on, it's not dependent on human strength or effort. So we know that it's not limited by our abilities, but we also need to understand, in the book of Acts, we'll see this, it's not dependent on our gifts and abilities, our human strength or our effort. It's not dependent on those things. He may use them, But it's not because of them that we're successful. This scripture in Zechariah says this. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This scripture is often referred to to kind of bring out the truth that God, when he says he wants a work done, he's going to to do it by his power, by his spirit. Not by our strength, not by our ability, but by his spirit. Now, he will use our abilities for the kingdom of God, but it's not because of us. 
that it's necessarily success, successful. There are occasions where God works with people who are very, very good at what they do. Uh, there's Barak, a warrior who is called to fight for the Israelites. There's Daniel. He was very educated, very knowledgeable. This guy had a lot going for him. And he was able to serve under four, four kings who did not worship God. He was like their right-hand man because he was trusted so much and they recognized that the Spirit of God was with him. They trusted him to take care of their kingdom. So he had it all together and he had great skill and God used him. And then there's Esther, who's recorded as possessing great beauty and showing great courage and putting her life on the line for her people to save the Jews from, from not, for, so that they would not be killed. All of these people had really good things going for them. They had greatness. They had good things that God had given them. But the idea is that God is using our skills, whether we have them or not. And he's, in this case, he's using our skill to bring glory to him. Here are some scriptures. You won't see these on the screen, but you can write these down. This is 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. The great scripture is pointing out that God has given these gifts. We received something. Let's use it to serve others so that we can be good stewards of his grace. 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. The idea is that whatever you have that you're able to do, you do it for him. It's a form of worship. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6 says this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. You see that? It's God who gives the gifts and abilities and the talents and the strengths that we have. And so we can use those for his glory by serving him. The Apostle Paul, who we're going to be reading a lot about in in, uh, the book of Acts, and we're going to be seeing a lot of him later on, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. And he is actually someone who is extremely well-educated. He, he had a lot going for him. He was very smart, religious elite. Um, he was very passionate. And before he knew Christ, his life was perfect according to the legalistic religion that he was a part of. He was the best. And he's going to talk a little about, about that in Scripture we're going to read. But then when he met Christ... He understood how these things were actually weaknesses. And he came to understand that all of his accomplishments and the great things that he could brag about were really worthless. Here's what he says, Philippians chapter 3. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He lists, he says the word, he was blameless. You couldn't find fault in this guy. But whatever I gain, 
Whatever gain I had, excuse me, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Do you see the change in his heart, in his mind? He's telling about how, look, how awesome I used to be and I could say how great I was. But ultimately, when it comes to knowing Christ and recognizing that he's the one that provides the gifts and he's the one that has the truth and we need to give our life to him to serve him and that he is a good God and he is faithful and he brings the truth to our lives, when we see that, we recognize, you know what? All of my accomplishments, my gifts and abilities, they really don't matter. They're not that big of a deal. He can use them. Let him. But in terms of me pursuing anything, I want to pursue Christ because all that stuff is rubbish. He says garbage. It's worthless. If I put a a pile of trash right here, okay, in front of of you, right here on the stage, if I put a, a pile of trash here, you would want to leave, right? Because it's filthy and it smells. Well, that's what he considered all of his great accomplishments. They're worthless, completely worthless compared to what? To pursuing Jesus Christ to know him. More valuable than anything. And he saw that. He realized that. So God can use people who have great ability, but he's not limited by those who don't have great ability. And again, we'll see that in the book of Acts. But then, you know, here's another thing that we're going to see. God's work is not stopped by human failure. God's work is not stopped by human failure. Praise God for that, because (laughs) I know that we could talk about our failures and how God is able to work despite them, right? In my life, I know that to be true. Going back to the apostles, the disciples, they failed Jesus regularly. They failed him all the time. When we read through the Gospels, we see not only did these guys not really seem to have it all together, they're just ordinary guys, we also see that Jesus was regularly telling these guys, hey, you guys, your faith is so weak. He was telling them, you have little faith. You have no no understanding. How can you not understand the things I'm teaching you? And then when he asked them to do things, sometimes they they would not be able to do it, or they would even disobey or they would get distracted and they'd focus on their own agenda. It happened all the time. As a matter of fact, in, in some very serious times, or, or very, some times where he really needed them, they failed him quite seriously. Peter denied Christ three times. When Jesus was going to, getting ready to go to the cross and die, Peter denied him three times on purpose. He did it, even though he spent multiple years with Jesus. And he loved him. He denied him. Then there's Thomas. Thomas is famous for doubting. When Jesus had risen from the dead, Thomas doubted it. And then there's Judas. This was probably the biggest one. Judas, Judas Iscariot, he betrayed Jesus for financial gain. He betrayed Jesus. He walked with Jesus the entire time he was on earth. He saw his ministry from beginning to end. And he betrayed Jesus. But remember, their task was to do what? 
to be witnesses. That's what he wanted them to do. Judas betrayed. Eventually he killed himself because he was overcome with guilt. But as we continue on, we see that these guys, God was able to use them. And they did the work. They did the task. Not because of themselves, but because God worked through them. God transformed them from people who were not capable to people who were extremely capable, from ordinary people to being able to do extraordinary work by the power of God. It's awesome. This is what happens. They were witnesses in Jerusalem. Remember, the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is what it says. Acts chapter 2 says, Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts chapter 2, that was in Jerusalem. Further on, the apostles were witnesses, and it began to spread, the news began to spread, the gospel began to spread, and they made more disciples. And here's what happened in Acts 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. All were scattered. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went, just a few verses later, Acts 8, verse 4. And as we read the book of Acts, we see the apostles go further and further out in their travels, spreading the gospel. Here are some scriptures that are not on the screen, but here's, in, here's how they got to other parts of the world. In Acts 16, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Acts 17, now when they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. These are all areas that they didn't necessarily live close to or necessarily know. Further on, Acts 17. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, showing that he got as far as Greece, and there were other places they went to. So God, it worked out. The disciples, they were not necessarily the greatest, ordinary, simple guys. And if they had any strengths, God was able to use that. Any limitations, God worked through them. And any failures, even though there were multiple failures from the disciples' part, God still was able to build them up and work with them and work through them. Pretty awesome. That gives us hope, right? That gives us hope. It gives me hope for sure. And so ultimately their success had to do with God's power, the power of God. God using his power through the Holy Spirit, the work that he had done, the, the work that Jesus had done with the disciples when they were walking with him. This is what we see. The extraordinary success of the apostles had to do with the power of God transforming them into people who could take on such a task. That's what we're going to see in Acts as well. What a powerful thing to see. Now real quick, going to this idea of transformation or being changed you see, one thing that you'll notice when you look at the Gospels in the Bible and then you look at the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, the disciples are really not called the disciples anymore. They're called the apostles. It begins in chapter 1. And the reason that this is going on, this is, I mean, you can really use the disciples or the apostles interchangeably to refer to them. The one exception is the book of Luke. They're called the apostles regularly, and, and that's probably because the book of Luke and the book of Acts have the same author. 
And so it's, they're commonly called the apostles in the book of Luke. But in the other gospels, you'll see disciples regularly. And the reason I'm bringing this out is because even though you can use those terms interchangeably for these men, there is a marked difference. See, the word disciple basically means learner, someone who is learning. And you could be a disciple of Jesus and eventually leave. Or you could be a disciple and be at various stages. Okay, so these guys, they, you could say maybe on day one, they learned each other's names <laughs> in the presence of Jesus. Day, th- day three, they, they saw Jesus heal people. Um, day 17, they went out and prayed for people, so now they know how to pray for people. And there are various stages of being a disciple, just like you know, uh, maybe an apprenticeship or other kind of jobs where you're, that's what you are, but there are various stages of it. But at this point, they're not disciples necessarily anymore, even though, they, yes, they are con- they're pursuing Christ. They're still growing and learning and, and, um, um, and worshiping God. But the reason apostles is used is because what's going on is now they're different. Apostle means one who is sent out, one who is a representative, one who is a delegate, who has the power and the authority of the person they learn from to do the job which they have been given. See, they're not, they're not just learning anymore. Now, they're the leaders. They're putting it into action. And in order for that to happen, there had to be a powerful change to occur in these guys. And that is what is called transformation. The power of God, the Holy Spirit works in people's lives, lives to change them. Just like we talked about with the Apostle Paul, who we'll read about more later, he used to think that this was how you worshiped God. But then when he met Christ, he was changed. And he recognized he did not know God at all. But rather, he needed to let go of his old life and pursue Christ, knowing Christ. Now he understood. You see, he was changed. He was completely new and different. So in the book of Acts, we see this over and over again, and, and we can see how this happened in the disciples' life. When you look at the Gospels and the book of Acts, here we'll see, you'll see in your notes, and you'll see this up on the screen. Before, the disciples were fearful. They were scared. Jesus said to them, the disciples, why are you afraid? O you of little faith. But after, they were courageous. When they, meaning the people who were listening, saw the courage of Peter and John, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They were changed. They were courageous now. They were not fearful. Further on, the disciples didn't have understanding before. But they, the disciples, did not understand what Jesus meant what he meant. They didn't understand something he was trying to teach them. But later on, this is right before the book of Acts, then he, Jesus, opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. They could understand. See, now they were able to understand what Jesus was talking about, the Old Testament, and what Jesus' words meant when he was talking about himself and how he would fulfill prophecies and things like that. We're going to see more and more of that in the book of Acts. Here's another before and after. Before the disciples, by human effort, this is what happened. Lord, have mercy on my son, someone said. 
I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. But in the book of Acts, chapter 2, the disciples, with God's power, this is what happened. Everyone was filled at awe, filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. What, what an amazing gift that God provides in our salvation, but then also sanctification, the process of becoming more like Christ. We're no longer dependent. See, that's what happens is we're no longer dependent on ourselves and our abilities to become like Christ. We don't have, we're, we're not, we're not um, basing our salvation off of that. We're no longer limited by our inability to understand or to be courageous. Now, the power of God can work in us and through us because of who he is. He transforms us and changes us. And our understanding of Scripture and who God is can grow regularly, all the time. That's why we need to be reading and praying and understanding and discussing these things with our life groups and our friends who are Christians. It's, it's a, it's a uh, pretty amazing thing that God does this work. And this scripture here, you're not going to see it on the screen, but this is, this is an example of transformation in scripture. that says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That is what God wants to do in our lives. Praise God. Yes, you can clap. You can clap for, for God. Here's, here's the thing. You know, earlier I talked about the idea of having an under, underdog story. There's a little bit of that feel here. But really, that's not the story. That's not the plot here. Because with the underdog deal, we know, we're wondering, is this guy going to overcome the big guy? Is this woman going to be able to defeat the establishment? You know? Is, um, is Rocky going to be able to beat the champion? You know? But in this situation, that's not the truth. We know the end of the story. Right? We know that Jesus has provided victory and we know that we're going to win as we stay with the Lord. We're going to win. We're going to have victory through him. There's another kind of story plot that's called the quest or the journey. And what that is about is watching someone go all the way to the very end to accomplish the mission. To finish the journey. And that's a little bit more of what this is like. See, with the disciples, they stuck it out with Jesus. They may not have understood everything. They, they failed. They didn't have it all together. They made a decision, though, to follow Christ when he said, come and follow me, and they stuck it out. They endured, and they learned to love him and obey him and to listen and to know his voice and to stay with him because they knew he had the truth. He was the truth. He is the truth. They knew that. God had showed them that. 
when you read through the Gospels, you will see there were actually many, many disciples, many people who claimed to be disciples of Jesus. But they eventually faded off. When Jesus was doing miracles, they were like, whoa, this is amazing. When he was feeding people for free, oh, this guy's awesome. Let's follow him. He knows something. But when Jesus started talking about the hard stuff, that he was going to die, and there would be coming, there would be people who hated them, the disciples, because of him, people started to fade really fast. The disciples didn't. And that's probably what God saw, is that they would stick around. And we have got to ask ourselves, the first thing we've got to ask is, if, if some of us here have not made the decision to follow Christ, this is a moment and opportunity right now to do that. And I encourage you to make that decision because Jesus Christ is the truth. He died, rose again, so that we could have freedom from sin, the sin that we have in our lives. We are sinners. And he provided us victory over that through his power so that we could overcome death and the consequences of sin. He is the way to heaven. He is the truth. And he is the only way we can ever become good or change from what we were or what we don't want to be. So I encourage you to make that decision today. The second thing, for those of us who have made that decision, what we need to think about here is, are we going to endure? Are we going to endure? That's a big question. Just like this was a big task for these disciples. That's a big question. Will we put in the work of continuing to read, of continuing to follow, continuing to listen, continuing to pray and ask God for understanding in his word? Will we continue to pursue him and put aside things that do not matter, that are secondary, and make him priority? Will we endure? Will we pick up our cross daily? Remember that scripture? Pick it up daily. Denying ourselves and pursuing Jesus Christ. That's what we've got to be asking ourselves. Because the disciples, yes, they spread the gospel. They did that. Before that, they stuck with Jesus. They endured. And then they continued to do that because of God's power through them. They continued to do that for the rest of their life. I said earlier that the word martus in Greek is where we get the word witness. There's something else. That word is the same word that we get the word martyr. A martyr is someone that gives their life. In terms of Christianity, a martyr is someone who gives their life for the gospel. Being a witness. Telling the truth about Jesus. And that's what God was telling them they needed to do. And we, who are now able to take on the responsibilities that the disciples turned apostles have, now we have that responsibility and that opportunity to endure with our lives, with every part of us, for the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask 
that you would give us strength. Help us, Lord, to recognize that we do not have the ability, we do not have the power in it of ourselves to produce godly work or to do good things for you. Rather, we are desperately in need of your Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that if there's anybody here in in the building, anybody watching, that you would help them call out to you and that you would save them. I pray, Jesus, that you would give us the strength and the endurance and the ability, God, to focus on you regularly and to make you priority and to always make you the first thing that we think about, the first person that we put our hope in, that we trust in you more than anything else. You are good. You are good. Thank you, Jesus, for your kindness. Thank you for your mercy in giving us salvation. We trust you, Jesus, in your name. We say this, amen.